Hello and welcome to Utabia. There's been a coup. I'm sad to say it was not a bloodless one. I have taken over. My name is David Hartrick and I have just decided to assert some authority on this podcast for once. Uh, not really. We're doing a Q&A so we're doing things slightly different and I think a lot of you want to hear a little bit more from Steve when we do the Q&As so I'm just taking the turn to host. So of course joining me is... Stephen Chicken. Hello, Steve. How does it feel being a guest on your own podcast? <laughs> it's nice. I've, uh, I've, I've put my feet up, um, made myself a brew, and yeah, just doing the lazy job that you normally do. Um, we've got loads of questions, and we are genuinely going to try and answer as many as we can while also leaving this at a sort of listenable length. Um, so I'm going to work my way through them. Apologies if I don't get to yours. As I said, I'm going to try and do as many as I can, but there is quite a bit of overlap as well. So your question might well be answered in the course of answering somebody else's. Um, so I've been going through them. And obviously the first one here is from uh, David Patrick of Lindley that says, why didn't Bobby Zamora get more England caps, Steve? Because um, he was not good enough. And secondly, why is Lewis Dunk not in the England team? Just a follow-up from David Patrick. Patrick, yeah. <laughs> Same answer. Right, well, we've got um, we've got a couple of anonymous ones, and I think because they're anonymous, we'll actually leave them till the end if we have time, and let's get into the ones where we've actually got people who have who have answered. We will answer all these questions fairly. We cannot guarantee you will like the answers. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. So, Steve, um, I think we'll start with Rowan Edwards. Uh, how are the club going to improve communication with fans in order to reduce negative rumours and general fake news? Now, we did cover a bit of this last week, but let's let's go over it again. Yeah, so it's the communications question, isn't it, really? Um, I think the, the monthly updates that they've said they're going to do are helpful. I think the things like Boothies Beer and Banter, um, which has been running for a few weeks now, but I think probably more people have, have recognised that um, and, and noticed that recently because of sort of, you know, they've had Michael Heffler and Chris Lerver on it recently, which, um, you know, not to do down any of the previous guests, but I think th- those are quite eye-catching um, additions to the YouTube and although it's sort of talking about the past rather than the present it is still something that the club do they do those preview shows as well which I'm a, a regular on before each game which genuinely uh, not just because I'm on them uh, but let's face it primarily because I'm on them no but they, they are genuinely good they they get great guests on them They're, they really look forward to sometimes we go into sort of into areas that you wouldn't expect from a preview show necessarily so we've had episodes where we've talked about um, you know academy coaching or or strength and conditioning coaching or transfer policy even when we've had Lee Bromby on um so it's not always just looking forward to the game and I think if anyone is sort of looking for more info from the club I would recommend checking out that that YouTube series because some of what they do does actually go through there or, and, and I think some people might not realize that but yeah I, I think we've talked about it before I think there's been an acknowledgement from the club that they have over-promised things before uh, and then under-delivered. Uh, I think especially a lot of that goes back to 
a few things, and I think sometimes this is overstated, but a few things that Phil Hodgkinson said when he first took over that he openly now holds his hands up and says he, he shouldn't have said and wouldn't say now um, was probably a bit a bit too bullish when he first came in and was trying to sort of make an impression because you have to remember that sort of the doldrums that town were in when he first took over and the season they'd just come off and I think he didn't know that we were going to go straight into another relegation battle you can say that as a chairman he should have realized that but I think that caught everyone by surprise just how bad they were in that first season back in the championship I think if people had known how bad that was going to be then maybe they wouldn't have been, well, they certainly wouldn't have been quite so bullish about the future and about about the prospects. I think they've learnt from that. Um, I think there's you. this is a point you've made a few times, Dave, but I think they do miss that sort of Sean Jarvis-type figure on Twitter, don't they, who's doing day-to-day yeah. updates um, mm. and, and yes, no, not sure, can't say type stuff. Yeah, um, I do think they miss that. I think the club, I mean, again, not to go over stuff we said last week, but I think the club does actually communicate far more than other clubs. I think nobody cares about other clubs. They only care about their own. But obviously I, I work with a few other clubs and do a few other games, etc. And I can tell you that Town are very, very much on the higher end of the communi- communication scale. Um, but I think they've, there's been a, also, as I said last week, I think there's been a bit of a false uh, expectation built up that your chairman will just come out and do four Q&As a year and tell you everything that's going on and everything that's happened and that you'll have somebody on Twitter who'll answer a question if you've got it. And uh, these things were, are unusual in the world of football. And I think that, yeah, town miss it now it's gone. But now it's gone, it was unusual that they had it in the first place. So I don't think it's necessarily on the club to immediately recreate those circumstances. And I hate to say the word in the very first question, Steve, but COVID means you can't do the Q&As and it may well be a while before you do. And somebody said to me, well, they could do a, a Zoom Q&A with the fans. It would just, it, it's, it would, it's not the same thing. And no, it's not. they're very, very difficult to run Zooms with a sort of open audience. There would be no right to reply because I think the only I think the only way you could do it is sort of gather the questions beforehand, let Phil answer them all, and then move on to the next one without anybody being able to sort of chime in or say anything. And that's not that's not really the same thing. Huddersfield um, Town's campaign has the momentum of a runaway freight train. What makes them so successful? Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I I don't think that's the answer either. So. We'll we'll move on to another question, but I think the sort of overriding feeling is they they are doing more than other clubs are doing. And Steve's exactly right. The after game show as well is really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they get a lot of ex players on. Mel Booth pops up regular. Um, and again, it's not what you would necessarily expect conversationally in a football club produced product. They go beyond. They they do get quite critical. I mean, there was all this. This is the the world they get stuck in, though, Steve. There was all those nonsense rumours about Phil Starbuck being cut and edited out and <laughs> well, it's stuff like that where you think they really can't win here I can I can give I mean I don't know if they'd thank me for this but I can give a peek behind the curtain because at the start of this season they asked me to come on the preview show and I said I, I don't know how much nice I've got 
to say about it so i don't know if you necessarily want me on and they they said no that's kind of what we want you on for because you can say things that we can't say um is is what they said to me and um i think there is a a line because you have to bear in mind it is a club club product they can't they can't be going oh well yeah but alex pritchard's crap though isn't he you know he's their employee and it would be completely inappropriate if they if they did do that and i think there probably have been times where people have either sworn um is is one thing um or they have maybe gone a bit too far on the criticism of a player and yeah if it lurches into anything personal you can't just yeah you can't put put that out we couldn't do it on this podcast and we're nothing to do with the football club are we yeah exactly so So, yeah i I the other thing i would quickly add and not to take 10 minutes over the first question but it is also sort of the role of the media to be that conduit between the club and the fans like that is and the days that Mel Booth had where he would go and have a weekly meeting with the manager and you know get his stories out of that are sort of long gone but that is still fundamentally the role of the media and you know there are things that they maybe can't say publicly and put on their website that that they will put through me instead and it's worth bearing that in mind as well I think yes Right, let's move on. I think what we'll try and do, we went a bit long on that one, but I think it was important to sort of discuss all aspects of that. I think as we move through them, we'll try and keep them a bit more brief so we get through more of them for you. That's you telling me off, isn't it? No, no. I mean, I was chiming <laughs> in as well. So, But I think that's something that, when it's an important subject, I'm not going to impose a time limit. But as host of this absolute horror show, I will... Uh, <laughs> I will put my foot down as and when I see fit. Um, Caitlin Self, I think it's obvious there's going to be another drop in season ticket sales this summer. What do you think the club needs to do to grow the fan base again? It's difficult because obviously the the big thing that grew the fan base last time was being successful. And there's no substitute for that, unfortunately. And it's the same with every club up and down the country. You know, you see that every club, when they go up to the Premier League, apart from like Wigan, will end up with with sellouts practically every week. Um, And when you drop back down, you lose gradually more and more of the fan base and you know there's been times when Elland Road and Hillsborough and you know other grounds and other clubs that are renowned for their supposed massive fan bases have been half empty um yeah I think it's a difficult one I think it's especially difficult because we're going into another season where we don't know what the rules are going to be and I think that makes it very difficult for them to um come up with appropriate season ticket schemes because the other the other end of it with Huddersfield Town is their season tickets are generally cheaper. I think that are they the cheapest in the championship still? They must be. Yeah, they're not far off. Yeah, they can't I mean, be far off. I mean, it's different not. this time because obviously you've got like Swansea doing their limited time ninety nine quid offer and yeah. stuff. It's it's a it's a weird time but, to renew this time, isn't it? But this is this is what I'm getting at. Is like there are. Some of the clubs who are doing the let it roll over or doing a cheaper price, those fans will have paid a lot more for the season tickets they've got this season. So a lot of the clubs that are doing those incentives for current season ticket holders, they will have probably, if you take the two seasons, I I would wager, and I'd be very happy to be corrected about this, so get in touch if you know more details, but I would wager that probably the two seasons combined are not a million miles off 
um, from sort of, you know, between a Huddersfield and a, a Middlesbrough or a Swansea. But yeah, um, there is one that, that someone has mentioned, which is, you know, incentives for children um, at the moment when particularly if it is, if there is more behind closed doors because kids don't necessarily want to sit and watch an iFollow stream where they would get excited about going to a match. And uh, I do get that. And I think that is a that's not a what do you get for your season ticket thing and i know that the club do do a lot of you know as much as they can and they do a lot through the town foundation as well but yeah that is something that several people have said to me i don't know what the answer to that is but that that seems like something that if there is going to be more behind closed doors that they might need to look at yeah i i think this is less a question about growing the fan pace and more about the season ticket sales at the moment because i mean how do you grow a fan base when you can't have anybody physically at the stadium and yeah, exactly. the the thing i would say is there are a lot of promises being made about next season and full houses on day one i i would temper those expectations if i'm honest i have no inside info from anyone i am not a pandemic specialist you'll be surprised to learn but um i think you've got to understand that the main thing everybody needs to concentrate on is the sort of vaccination program and everything else and how we sort out major events from there because it's not just football matches there is currently there's a reading and leeds festival scheduled to go on there are concert programs at the end of the year there are there's all sorts to be sorted out and it's it is not just as simple. I mean, this isn't a sexy thing to talk about, but it is not just as simple as get every everybody into the ground because you've got things like liability insurance and things like that and risk assessments to be done. And it's a sort of completely new set of circumstances that have only been theoretical up until this point. So... I think you've almost got to say, in terms of growing the fan base, you've got to say, well, next season, the only way we can do that is just to try and do what we can on the pitch because there are so many logistical problems to sort out in the short term. It's just very, very difficult to do. I think there's things you can do season ticket-wise. You look at Swansea's, which I think me and you both agreed was a really good idea, actually, to sort of say, right, you've got... It's a 99-quid season ticket, but you've only got a couple of weeks to get it. After that, it goes back to a sort of a normal price and I think that was quite a fair way to do it really wasn't it Steve? Yeah I I, I quite like that scheme and, and Middlesbrough have done the rollover as well as I say mm. so yeah. And Brighton have, uh, there's a couple of ins- uh, things that Brighton have instigated which I quite like as well which is the that you can give up your season ticket but there's an amnesty that you can uh, nominate someone to buy it basically which is, is good at the moment because we know people haven't got loads of money, we know there are always people who want to sit together families who want to be together etc so i think that's quite a good idea and they've also got you can pay a little fee on top of your season ticket i think it's i think it's 20 quid and it can be used by uh, a nominated five different people which again i think is quite practical with the season going forward so there are things you can do but it's just I don't even think you can think about growing the fan base until you know how you can deal with the fan base, if yeah. I'm honest, because the live experience is just such a massive part of it. You can't do the, the stuff before the games. You can't do fan videos. You can't. It's, it's a lot, at isn't this it? level. Yeah. 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 Um, Jacob Hurst. What do you think Jacob uh, Jaden Brown's absence is down to? Well, we're not going to speculate on that. We know he had a concussion and he's not been in since so we can only assume it's a tactical thing. I know he was concussed when Tuffalo got suspended, but since then he's been missing 
is this an indication as to what will happen at the end of the season when he is out of contract? He's been on the bench, hasn't he? He's He's been an unused sub in a few games, uh, mm. the last few games. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the, the, the sad answer is that Carlos Gorbran has looked at basically everyone else other than Jaden Brown. And yeah, the concussion was part of that when he when he looked at Lewis O'Brien and then Aaron Rowe. But even when, you know, even when Jaden Brown is back, he's kept him on the bench or played him on the wing rather than giving him a run yeah. at, at, at left back. Um, Let me ask you a slightly different question. If he doesn't get the red card at Derby, has he played 90 minutes at left back at this point? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think probably not, to be honest. Um, I mean, maybe he would have played in that Preston game. Um, but, I mean, he didn't. It's not like he started against Derby, even, you know. Mm. And that that would have been, you would have thought, the game to, to give him a start. In. Um, I think Aaron Rowe was, has got ahead of him, uh, is, is the long and short of it. And, yeah, I think he's... It's a bit sad because I think we would have, you know, he was one of the players, the young players who emerged last season, and um, you would have sort of tipped to to push on if he got that chance. And we've we've often described him as being very unlucky playing behind Toffolo, but mm. and and I think he did all right in that FA Cup game. But yeah, he's the fact that there was that opportunity and Carlos still hasn't preferred him. I I don't know if he maybe gets an extension. They send him out on loan to League One next season and see how he gets on there. Um, but uh, yeah. I think he's he's I would understand if he was frustrated with how this season has gone to be honest. Yeah, we he he played a lot of football under the Cowleys and we went and did the FA Cup game at Southampton down there together last year and he was terrific on the day. I asked Danny a question specifically about him afterwards because he was he had a really dodgy opening 10 minutes against the Premier League winger and then he just tucked him in his pocket. It was he, he was brilliant. I think there's a I think there's a player there, me. I've always liked Jaden Brown, but he needs football. He's a player who yeah. needs to play thirty, thirty five games in a season somewhere. And I think if you could get him alone and bring him back ready, that would be absolutely perfect. But I just don't know if he would accept that at this point. That's completely down to what he sees as the future at Huddersfield Town, you know, does he is there a world where he goes out on loan in League One, has a really good season, and comes back, and Harry Toffolo's maybe moved on, and he, he takes over? You just there's so many unknowns that I think it's difficult to expect him to to be to be patient and to wait all the time. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if if he left the club, but I don't think it would be. You know, it's not going to be a bad one. Everybody cursing each other. I think it's just one of them where it's like we just we just can't give this young man what he needs because we have the bionic man in front of him who I know is injured now but is just an extraordinary athlete 90% of the time isn't he yeah I think maybe the switch of formation to 3-5-2 might not have helped because I think he's Mm. much more of a natural left back than Rowe whereas Rowe Mm. is probably better at wing back so anyway that's it I think I think the one thing we we would have to say about Jane Brown is he's a far more natural defender He, he can get forward and he has put a couple of decent crosses in but defending is his thing he's I mean when you look at Jaden Brown, you think left back in a four-two-three-one, don't you? If I, that's yeah. that's my yeah. take on it. And if Town aren't going to play that, then do you need him? Uh, Nicola Barthorpe, what's gone on with Joel Pereira? They said at the start of the season that loans would be used for players that are of a quality above what we can normally get, like ESR, or for players we can get at the end of the loan. He hasn't been the former. 
and he has been kept away from the team after he played against Stoke. Is he going to be signed? If not, why wasn't he sent back if they didn't rate him? Uh, I don't know if he's going to be signed. Um, I think he was always a bit of an exception to those those loan rules. Absolutely right to point out those. That was sort of the criteria for the loans, but I think he was an exception literally just because uh, Ryan Schofield was injured in the summer and missed the start of the season, so they only had one keeper. They only had Ben Hamer. So they just needed someone to be cover until Schofield got back basically um he has been on the bench again it's Leutweiler has not been on the bench sort of every week since he came in they've he's he's switched between the two core brand he's had Leutweiler some games and Pereira uh, others and it has been Pereira for the last five so I don't know whether he's got I don't think he's got a future at Man U I think that's fairly clear from from speaking to people at that you don't end. think he's better than David De Gea no I reckon he's not or Dean Henderson um but uh, whether whether he might have a, a longer term future at, at town, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, that 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 was that's long and short of it. Basically, it's just because Schofield was injured at the start of the season. I don't think they would have gone for him if if Schofield hadn't been injured. No, I also don't think Man United would have accepted a loan for three months. I think with a keeper, you either send them out for the season or you don't bother. It's very rare to to do it in a little chunk because there's so little to be gained from that, really. I just think with Joel Pereira, I think sometimes you get a player wrong. You know, sometimes someone in the recruitment department sees something in him and thinks he'll be, uh, he'll fit straight in. And it's clear with Pereira that while he's probably going to be a very good keeper somewhere one day, it's not at Man United and it's it's likely not at Huddersfield Town either. And I think you just, it, it's, goalkeepers are easy and I've said it before and it sounds a horrible way to say this, but if they sign Joel Pereira, I think there's, I think there's better options, put it that way. I can't really see the, the case made this season for signing Joel Pereira. So I think, I think you just have to say, well, it's not really worked out. So Yeah, I don't think he was signed to, to try and come in and push no. and, you know, and take the shirt off Hamer, to be fair. I think he was signed to sit on the bench, which is what he's done. So fine. Yeah. Um, Doug Barnett, which is a cracking name. Uh, have we seen any pattern in our recruitment or do you think that we've seen this season or do you think what we've seen this season has been large? tactical the re-signing of previous players seems a little odd and not completely aligned with younger options do you see brexit having an impact i think there's two separate strands of that um so i think we'll discuss the re-signing of the players and then we'll talk about brexit because they're very different questions i think yeah so the re-signing of the players i don't think it's an intentional policy um it is a bit odd that they've had so many you know that they've had who they had they've had richard keogh they've had Dwayne holmes uh, they've had Danny Ward and and Jordan Rhodes has been linked as well. Um, I think probably if you look at each on their individual merits, I, this is why I think it's not a policy. Holmes, I think we can all agree, although it's not, he's not really had a chance to show what he can do because he's been played out of position. He was, I think people would say he was a, a good sign-in from Derby and I think he's the one out of all of them that the fans are quite happy with. Um Keogh, they just needed a centre-back to, to fill in for uh, for the injuries because the only one they had fit was um, was Naby Sarr. I think Romani Edmonds-Green was, was playing through something a bit. Um, so they just needed a centre-back to play a few games and he's ended up keeping his place. Um, 
And Danny Ward was available as a free agent. And again, people laugh at this. And I almost sort of am low to, to bring this up now because people people do make fun of it. But his numbers for Cardiff, when you look at shot conversion um, and you know goal scoring rate and minutes per goal in particular, he was one of the best in the championship. So as a free agent, particularly someone who wanted to move back to the area um, by his own admission, um, everything sort of fit with him. And yeah, I think that's, I don't think it's, an intentional policy, but I, I understand why that looks a bit odd. I think in terms of sort of the profile of the players, um, yeah, it has been a bit of a mix. I think it's not been mostly 20-year-olds, but I think if it had been, people would have been complaining. We, we've mentioned on here before, Dave, that in January, I had half the people on my Twitter saying, why have they signed a load of youngsters like Silver Thomas and Danny Grant when we need people who are championship ready? And the other half were saying, why have we signed old players like Richard Keogh when we need players for the future and they have done a bit in between as well you know when you think about Naby Sars 27 Rolando Aaron's although he's not got a huge amount of experience he is 25 Dwayne Holmes is 26 um or at least they were when they signed them when I'm looking at it here so I think there has been a bit of a mix uh and I think that the most recent two Sonogo and Nias um is just needs must and that's who was available you know they needed that mm. center forward they finally realized that with the with the system they were playing um and with the personnel that are missing you know that the absence of the wingers and so on and the absence of a goal scoring winger in particular that they needed that extra center forward um and I think at that point it was just well we'll it's short term deals for the time being we'll just get who's available and not worry too much about whether they're a 25 year old who's going to play the next 7 years for for the club potentially yeah, I I don't think it's something that they've set out to do, but I think I think these players each time have been more or less near the top of their recruitment model. So it's when you when they're near the top of the model and I mean essentially you have an in. <laughs> you have an in with them anyway, then it can make things a lot easier. Um, Danny Ward was fairly easy to get over the line because obviously he was keen to get back to the area. Richard Keogh was playing in League One. It was a chance of championship football, so that's easy enough to sort. Dwayne Holmes was was not figuring in Derby's team as much as he had, and he was coming to the end of the contract. And I think we both think Dwayne Holmes is a good signing. He's just not actually played in his best position yet, but he will get plenty of plenty of football. So. The Jordan Rhodes one is still speculation at the moment. I think we both have an opinion on that, but it's probably better to wait and proffer that when there's something more solid. But yeah, I I don't I I do just think it's a case of these players are near the top of our recruitment model and they're easy to get over the line. So if you bear in mind I mean again, I don't want to get boring about it, but if you bear in mind we've already spoke before about how difficult that transfer market has been in COVID times, both last summer and then particularly in January when however whatever metric you want to use, nothing happened. <laughs> and town actually got, you know, Thomas done, Grant done, they got Dwayne Holmes in. Town were more active than most out there. So but the Brexit side of things is interesting because I'll I'll answer this one first and then throw to you, Steve. I do think it's going to have a massive impact because you've already seen how the the rules changing has affected someone like 
um, getting work permits for Omar Nias has taken a little yeah. while to do and a lot of paperwork. These things are not as easy as they once were. You you wouldn't have been able in that summer of, what was it, 2016, 2017, you wouldn't have gone and got Schindler and Lerfer and various others because mm. I don't think you would have got a work permit for a, an Elias Kachunga. I, I, no, you I'm not sure yeah. you would. Um, so it is going to make a difference. It's going to make a huge difference. And I think they're going to look to other areas. There was a reason town were linked with a Brazilian striker for the first time in their history. And that's because a lot of people are going to look towards South America because it is somewhat easier for various reasons to potentially get those players in. But the European players, it becomes very difficult. You can't just go and spend a million quid on someone from the Bundesliga 2 and get them straight in and get them training. It's There's a lot to be taken into account. My own personal take on it is clubs should really, really, really be throwing money at their academies right now so that in a couple of years they've got players coming through who are ready. And when I say throwing money at their academies, I mean... Town have got a tremendous facility now. They want to make sure they've got top quality coaches. They've got people in who can help them with various lifestyle issues, etc., etc., and really try and turn that academy into a talent train. That's that's the way to do it at this level. But anyway, Steve, your your take? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, the long and short of it, without going through sort of the arcane points-based system, is you either need to have been playing top-flight football or international football, whether that's under-21s or seniors. Uh, and if you've not been doing one of those things, then it's very difficult um, to, to get the deal done. And it almost doesn't matter which country's top-flight you're playing in, as long as you've been playing regular football there, you, you're likely to sort of... Or, or much more likely to, to get the criteria. I think the USA is a really interesting market, potentially. Mm, um, we've yeah. seen a few... A few uh, Swansea made a couple, didn't they? Barnsley are, have worked that already. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, not being funny, but Town do have an in there with Dwayne Holmes, who is a, mm. a USA international and will, you know, will at least have a few of those players in his... I'm sure he's in the US national team you know whatsapp group agent homes yeah and you know not to suggest any kind of a legal tapping up or anything like that i'm sure it would all be above board but we do know that that players talk and um you know there are legal ways to to put players in touch with each other about moves and yeah and it's i think the mls is probably somewhere between sort of bottom end championship level somewhere Mm. around that uh most of that league so i think that's a very and it's a lot of english-speaking players the the mls is weird because i i do a bit of mls every now and then and you have these mad talent gaps in teams where the the best player in the team is so far ahead of the worst yeah it's 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 genuinely like having a really decent premier league player playing in a league two time a, a league two team sometimes it's it's odd so there must be uh, there must be a market there there must be a few it, it, like i know everybody is scouting everywhere all of the time everything is just all so much all the time steve but um there must be one or two championship level players in that league that aren't getting tracked i'd suggest at the moment so yeah i think you're exactly right Will Shaw, which is an interesting name when you look at the question, because Matt Shaw has an opinion about this player too. Uh, what's D'Amico Dehaney's level? Can he make it at town? I think he's reasonable uh, right back, and he's he's got a bit of versatility. We've seen him play in central midfield and at, at right uh, right wing back as well. 
Um, I think it's hard to say. We've we genuinely we've not seen a lot of him, and I think there's been some games where we've come away saying, "Oh, he's played well there." And I'm thinking of um, of which games is it? It was Millwall away and QPR away. Maybe you should just play in London. That that's the, the <laughs> lesson. Um, no, he's. Uh, I think it's difficult to say at this point, to be honest. I think I would be quite comfortable with him. If he was back up right back again next season, then I would be quite happy with that, to be honest. Um, Whether he is ever going to go on and become first choice right back, though, I probably would have my doubts at this stage. I think with D'Amico Dehaney, I think the problem he has is he cannot do what Pippa does, which is the job that is now asked of uh, the, the right back or the right wing back or the right and midfield, depending which system they play, which is to do the defensive job, but also play as basically like a false number 10 half the time. And I don't think that's Dehaney's game, if I'm honest. I think he... I think at his stage of career and the amount of football he's played, he needs a simpler um, system. And that's not... I'm not being disparaging there. I I actually rate Dehaney far higher than quite a few town fans do. Matt Shaw from Andy Takes That Chance, we've had this debate with him. He's he's not a Dehaney fan at all. But yeah, I'm a bit with you and it's a bit like the Jaden Brown question. It's whether you can convince him to be back up right back for another season at a time in his career when he probably wants to be playing football. And let's be honest, playing football is the thing he needs to do now to bring him the most benefit, I would honestly say. Yeah. Slight change of place. Uh, It's next in the list. Oliver Barnes. Love the pod. Thank you, Oliver. Uh, Something that has kept me going during these hard times. Could I ask what brought you both to Huddersfield? Was it the bright lights? (laughs) Well, I live in Normanton, which is the other side of Cass. uh, The other side of Wakefield, uh, I should say, uh, near to Cass. But um, I came to Leeds. I'm from Warrington originally. I came to Leeds from uh, for for uni uh, and basically met my wife at uni and we've stayed here ever since basically um so that's why we're in yorkshire uh and obviously i've been covering the yorkshire clubs for uh what was that 10 years by the time i got the the examiner job um so huddersfield had always been on my beat but so were leeds and hull and you know the sheffield clubs and rotherham and donny and barnsley so yeah that's that's me very boring uh i moved up from brighton when i was uh uh, I was what I was ten, I think. So I'd stayed. I'd been in Brighton long enough to pick up the football club and the accent, and then uh, we came up because Dad changed his job, and then went to school. Met my wife when we were at school, um, so we've been together for an incredibly long time now. I could have Matt, you get less for manslaughter, as I tell her regularly, <laughs> um, and, and just stayed. The, we we lived in Bradley, and then we briefly moved when we me and Penny first moved in for work reasons. We we briefly moved to Farsley uh, over in a little place called Leeds that's not very popular around here. Um, but then we, we came back after a year because we realised we spent half our time in Huddersfield anyway, seeing people, seeing friends, going out. So we moved to Lindley and we've been here ever since and I can't see us moving any time soon because my daughter would throttle me if I suggested it. <laughs> yeah, we would. my wife and I, we were just talking about moving to Huddersfield when the pandemic hit and then it was like, well, there's not much not much point no. <laughs> at this stage, so we're going to see how it goes. Uh, Miles Dixon, um, given the big play the club made when Corbyn was brought in to replace Danny Cowley about an identity and style of play, 
play and indeed recruit into that stated system. Where do you see us going forwards next season, given we've reverted back to the pragmatic percentage football already? And what do you see the transfer policy, given what went on in the last window? Yeah, I think uh, we sort of touched on the last transfer window, and I think some of those signings, particularly sort of Keogh and more recently Sonogo and Nias, were kind of, not to say they're bad players, but they were kind of needs must. We've got a gap we need to fill here quite urgently because of injuries kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So I wouldn't read too much. I mean, similar with Leutweiler, to be honest. So I wouldn't read too much into the transfer policy based on that. I think they would like there to be more Pippers and Nabi Sars and Carol Eitings than, you know, than, than uh, Richard Keogh's or, or Jason Leutweiler's. But everyone wants that, to be fair. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's the difficulty. That's why, it's, uh, that's why it's so difficult. I think probably the pragmatic style at the moment, they are going to stick with it long enough to get over the line and make sure they're yeah. safe. I wouldn't expect them to be playing this style on the first day of next season. I think they're much more likely to go back to what we saw in the first half of this season. I think almost exactly. I think there will be tweaks. I think they've probably learnt things from from the last sort of three months uh, in terms of what they can and can't get away with and what the players are and aren't capable of playing at this level because with the best will in the world, um, Town's current squad does not have the capabilities that of the players that Corbran would have been working with at Leeds last year and I think it might have taken him a little while to realise that probably the first 11 did which is why it worked in the first half of the season but then when you're into sort of more of your squad players maybe they're not quite as as capable of doing that and unfortunately they've had to play a, a lot of those players that will stand them in good stead longer term but it is we've not to sort of belabor the point because we have talked about it a lot but this summer is really massive because of because of the wages you know they let Ben Hamer go early because it got him off the wage bill and they've saved significant amount of money by by letting him go and getting Leutweiler in on on substantially less money um and there's you know dear Carby similar he's gone he was on pretty good money considering he was contributing next to nothing Alex Pritchard is in a similar boat when he goes this summer and even some of the players that you know this isn't a dig at Schindler but Schindler is earning big money and hasn't played much because he's been injured and you know he would have played if he hadn't been injured obviously but that is a lot of money that is sort of going to waste at the moment and has gone to waste in the second half of this season that you could genuinely probably spend on about two three players um two three four players depending on the positions so yeah that 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 is going to make a big difference i think the recruitment this summer will be really telling it's i'm almost we've talked about this before but i think this is this summer is going to be a much more open market because there's going to be so many more free agents and premier league players uh you know premier league clubs are going to be more willing to sanction loans whether clubs are able to afford those free agents or those loans though is another matter um and i think that players are going to have to get accept the reality that they are going to be on a lot of them are going to have to take pay cuts from their last deals and that might mean that we see a lot of players um waiting until the last minute to to make their moves um you know nias and snogo both said they turned down offers before coming to huddersfield and not to again not to do huddersfield down but i can't imagine that they went into september going ah well i'm not going unless it's Huddersfield Town I don't think they were holding out for Huddersfield I think they were holding out for a particular offer and then have realised that that probably wasn't going to come yeah I, I agree with all of that really I think they've had to resort to the pragmatic style because I think Carlos Corbran was so dogmatic in the first half of the season in playing the same way with the same players week in week out regardless of the result that 
we were certainly, uh, we mentioned it on the pod, but certainly off air, we were absolutely desperate for him to to make a change and to adapt and to be flexible. So I, I'm with you. I think first day of next season, we don't know what that first eleven or the squad looks like, but I'd be very surprised if it was a team set up to contain. And if it is a team set up to contain, then... You know, obviously, we're going to have to ask that question because that was not the the stated aim. That was not where we were supposed to be. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes back to you have to understand that Corbin is learning as he goes, and he will have learned a hell of a lot from the most difficult championship season in history um, for various reasons. I'm not going to say the word COVID again. I've just said it. But um, in terms of the transfer policy, I think they've got to recruit players for that system because I don't think they have them, as you've said. And I think you have to... There seems to be a little bit of a stigma about free agents that sometimes free agents are free agents for a reason and that's that's because they haven't been good enough up until that point. But there are lots of other reasons that some players are free agents too and I think that you can work that system quite effectively. You can get good players in. Um so that has to be part of the that has to be part of the policy and there will be a budget but that budget like you said is going to be derived of basically what they're saving off the wage bill and where they can get transfer fees from elsewhere and genuinely I don't know what this summer transfer market looks like I don't know if there's a bit of a recovery after January or if it's a really really slow again I've absolutely no idea and it's very difficult to forecast. I, I've spoken to a few people at through different clubs and they're exactly the same. They're just no idea. I told you off air, Steve, I don't know if I mentioned it on the pod, but I spoke to somebody at one club who had a player that they wanted about a million for and a club was really, really interested to the, and they said, we'll discuss personal terms and we'll get back to the fee. And the player at a million was cheap and the highest the, the buying club could go to after negotiation was 80000 pounds so it is tough and it is tight out there and I think we'll just have to wait and see what the summer brings really but yeah I'd be staggered if they were sort of going for pragmatism on day one of next season I can't see it I can't see it um next question comes from something I know you have every night Steve and that's HTFC dreams unfortunately I don't mine are mostly mucky uh my concern is Phil Hodgkinson will depart Huddersfield Town in the summer of 2022 after the parachute payment stop. After three years of fire sales, wage restructure and a poor squad made up of kids, freebies and injury-ravaged players, we are left with a limited foundation after what was meant to be a Premier League nest egg. Discuss. I Before you discuss this one, I will just say we're sort of verging into fanfic a little bit here because none of this might happen. This is the thing. It could be a really incredibly successful season next season with Corbin experience with a good summer of recruitment. So it's... It's a slightly weird thing to discuss, isn't it? There's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Premier League nested thing, I think we've we've sort of talked about to death. Um, It doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't. And it should. And yeah, you know, it should. 
but it doesn't um, because they they wasted a lot of money on on bad players in the Premier League days um, and probably took too long to get rid of some of those players. Um, you know, when you think about the likes of Adama Diakabi, Terence Gangolo, you know, players who were earning good money and offering basically nothing who were at the club for a very long time. And that's not really a dig at the club because, um, you know... <laughs> Everyone else can see that they were, apart from Fulham, apparently, that those players were, were not going to offer very much. Um, but but, um, but I don't know. It's it's yeah, it's a strange one. I, I think that I think that some fans now are sort of not accepting, but getting used to the fact and that 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 is where they are now. Um, I think that that is clear in the fact that this international break would not these questions have not been as hysterical as I think they would have been in in previous international breaks when typically things have sort of yeah. kicked off and again I'm not saying hysterical there to sort of have a go at fans and say those concerns weren't valid but I think that you know that things have kicked off on the previous international mm. breaks um and you know I think the fact that that town are where they are in the table and people are still sort of a bit more accepting of their position this time sort of tells you that that the expectations are coming back down and I think they had to um and again I know that that is going to be quite difficult for some people to accept but I think they unfortunately they did have to and and maybe we're getting there now so yeah I, I don't particularly want to engage on the the fanfic side of things as, as you say um just because it is if buts and maybes and we we don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen next i think we're you and i are both more interested in sort of the facts of things rather than trying to guess what is gonna happen hmm. and if if ifs and buts were candies and nuts then every day would be unto donkfest and if you get that reference good on you um yeah it's there's there's not really a lot to discuss other than i think it depends where you're coming from with this question if you think this is town are on some massive slide and this is all inevitable and in 2022 the world is a wasteland then i it's very difficult to change your mind or shift your opinion of that there are reasons to be worried in, in the future regarding Huddersfield Town and there are also reasons to be positive and I think really you've genuinely just got to see how the next year or two plays out it's no what idea. we said it's what we said last week which is I think it, it and sort of relates back to the last answer which is I think it comes down to whether you have any faith in the recruitment team um, yeah and I understand there why is, before you go on there is a question about the recruitment team so save your answer there okay <laughs> uh, next one comes from Will Hibbert who uh, says how great we are so thank you Will cool. uh, his question is if you were Carlos Corbran how would you look to get the best out of Bakuna and playing on a consistent high level week in and week out um, he makes a, a case for Bakuna himself um, and he one point he does make that I think we, we need to hold our hands up is I know most this is what Will says I know most town fans sit on the fence with him but I truly believe if Carlos could get the best out of him he'd dominate the championship me and you when town were relegated out of the Premier League were really excited about seeing Janino Bakuna in the championship because yeah. we thought he was going to be quite the quite the player but the problem is consistency isn't it yeah he was one of the best 
probably town's best player in under Jan Sievert, which is sort of faint praise, but he still did enough in that spell to be like, wow, yeah. as a player, he's yep. got a, he's got a bit of everything. But yeah, as you say, it's he gets in his own way. He's his own worst enemy. I realistically, I don't think you're ever going to see a consistent Janino Bakuna. Um, if he was. If he had that in him, he would be playing Premier League football week in, week out at this stage of his career, realistically, because he, he does have, you know, he's he's incredibly physically fit. The, the fact that he's played so many games uh, tells you that. He's basically never injured. He Surprisingly, considering he's got a bit of a, an, um, you know, a nasty side to him mm. sometimes and throws himself into tackles, he very rarely gets sent off. He only had that, that red against Forest. I think that's the only time he's been sent off for town. Um he he can shoot, he can pass, he's got the technique, he can beat players, he's got the X factor, which is, you know, so rare in this game that he can make something happen out of nothing. But as you say, the problem is he does that sort of one game in three, four, five. Yeah. You know, in any five-game stretch, Janino Bakuna will have two bad games, two all right games, and one brilliant, unplayable game where he'll score one and make one. And I think he's always going to be like that, unfortunately. I, I think just... I don't know why that is. I think he's... You and I have both said I think he's a player who's motivated by the glory. I don't think he is a player who loves <laughs> sort of... Um, who takes a lot of pleasure out of a job well done. I think he likes the 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 excitement and the glory and the, 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 the headlines, uh, the mm. positive headlines. Uh, I think that's what drives him rather than being like, oh, I've been a really consistent player this season. Yeah, at his best level, he is top end championship easily lower end premier league he's that good but the problem is you often we've we've sat there and watched him warm up and sometimes in the warm up me and you have said mm, we know exactly what game we're going to get out of him today and like jokingly i said to you when the cameras were there for the cardiff game i said he's going to have he's going to be possibly man of the match but he's certainly going to have a really really good first half and he had a really good first half and was running about all over. I don't actually, a lot of people will see that as like a real criticism. I don't necessarily think there is anything wrong with a footballer who is motivated by personal glory. I, I don't. Some of the greatest footballers of all time have been motivated by personal glory. But I think the problem with Pakuna is that his he reminds me a little bit of where we were with Isaac and Benza at one point, which is... I, Janino Bakuna is somebody who wears his heart on his sleeve via his body language. You can very, very often tell, as I said, what game he's going to have from his warm-up, and then certainly 10-15 minutes into a game, you can see if he's slightly head down, strolling about, you know, all right, okay, it's one of them. If he's engaged and he's at it, and he's, he's getting on the ball lots then he looks a completely different player. And I don't think that, that body language helps him at, at all because he looks... He often he often gets a lot of stick for a performance that's a 5 out of 10, but it's just the way he looks. He looks a bit disinterested, so that bumps him down to like a 3. So yeah, he's he's a puzzle I'm not sure anyone's going to solve in the Championship. And there's a lot of talk of potentially a move maybe up to Scotland, maybe the Re Rangers link might be reignited. There was definite interest there last summer. There are other people who are looking at him and you look at him and you think, well, maybe that's what he needs at this point. Maybe you just have to say, if you want to see the best Janino Bakuna, it's 
probably not in the championship with Huddersfield Town. I'd be, um, I'd be, I'd be really interested to see him in a good team. Yeah, because I think he's only yeah. ever played in sort of in in teams that have not been. De- mind, mind you, I say that the first half of this season he was dreadful, and Town you would have said we're an all right team. But I'd be interested yeah. to see him in a top six team. Say, but the interestingly, it's it's a little bit like Paul Pogba who has to feel. Uh, he has to feel like he's got a chance of winning something to actually play at his very best. And I sometimes feel like there's an element of that with Bakuna. He has to feel like there is something on the line to really push him forward. If it's just your sort of mundanity of a Tuesday night yeah. game against a mid-table championship team, he's struggling to get himself in the mode. But, you know, bring the TV cameras, make it a bit of a challenge, get him one-on-one with someone who wants to man-mark him, and then he's suddenly more engaged and you see more from him. Um, the irony Scotland. there is that um, the irony there is that probably his most uh, famous goal was on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke. So. Yes, indeed. That was the first night on the red button as well, I think, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Uh, Can be Scotland. Are Huddersfield Town's ridiculous amount of injuries down to training methods or just sheer bad luck? And will the potential return of some of these players for the running secure Huddy's championship status? I think a lot of it is option three, which is everyone's had a lot of injuries this season because the schedule's been ridiculous. But, yeah. I mean, that that is probably accountable for at least half of it. Um, you know, you look at every club this season has had a stupid number of hamstring injuries. I think Town have had more than most, and... I think there. Is, I look. We have to be honest, Steve. I think there has been an element of overtraining. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, I, I think so too. And I think that the again, it comes down to the learning curve of Corbyn and his team. You know, Corbyn's not out there necessarily setting element every element of training up. That's the thing. But it's been difficult, I think, for a lot of teams to judge this season with the way the games have come thick and fast. I mean, how you would have trained your team through December, Steve, I've no idea. With with a million games and often only three days between games, what you what you certainly couldn't do is double sessions and murderable sessions and all that sort of thing. And I think there was perhaps an element of that which is as told on the team. But again, learning curve, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of yeah, I've been reluctant to sort of point that finger just because you don't know for sure. And um, you know, Corbyn has said they've tried to they've tried to sort of take things back a little bit since January. Um, on the other hand he has also there was one press conference where I was a bit surprised at how unapologetic he was about it and how you know he was he basically said well yeah but we want to I think we were asking about the lack of rotation over Christmas and he was like well yeah but we want the team to win and you always have to make a decision between that we always want to he didn't even say we have a decision to make he just said you always want to pick the, the team that has the best chance of winning and you know sometimes that means you have to take risks and yeah I, I do I do wonder about that we talked again we talked about it a bit last week but I do wonder if he might change his approach to rotation if he had his time again and yeah. and accept that it's worth taking in in the longer run you're going to get more points by taking changing one or two players per game rather than sticking with the same 11 week after week because he did have the there there came a point where he didn't have the players available to do that but that was because they they'd got injured and mm. you know as i say you wonder what what part the the lack of rotation prior to that had had but yeah yeah you need Towner in the position where next season they need a better first 11 they need a better squad they and they need a 
better training regime and they need better luck that's that's the reality there's a, a lot there's a lot that you is just sort of an unknown is an unquantifiable so we'll we'll genuinely just have to see how they go but you would have thought these players coming in i mean we we come from this different angle because i'm convinced town are safe regardless but you would have thought the players coming back in may well give them a little boost and it would be I've talked about it on the pod before. It would be a real boon for Corbyn and his team to finish the season on a high. If if they could finish with a couple of wins and get themselves sort of quite comfortably nestled into lower mid table, and a couple of wins would do it, Steve. That's literally all it yeah, would take. Yeah. Um, that would be a real different situation going into the summer. I think from every from every viewpoint. Um, we've still got quite a few to go, so we'll do a few quick ones, Steve, because uh, I want to try and get through them all. Uh, do you do tout? This is HTAFC Stato, which is an uh, excellent Twitter account, Town yeah, Fans, give it, if you're give not it following. Give a follow if you're not. Yeah. Do follow. Um, I know you answered this briefly um, on Twitter, Steve, but it's worth asking again here. Do Town see Ryan Schofield as their number one next season, or do you think he needs another season out on loan? Yeah, I think they do see him as the number one um, for next season. I I don't think he needs another season on loan, but I know that there are people who disagree with that. I think there's definite flaws in his game, and we've talked about them, particularly from high crosses. Um, but I've also think we've seen that he has been working on that the last few games he's, he's been on troubled uh, I am actually planning this afternoon to do a, to dig into the stats on Ryan Schofield and, and see what I can find in there um, but I think he's he's obviously a really good shot stopper I, don't, I think even his sort of harshest critics would have to agree that he's made some saves this season that I think other keepers might not have made Um and when you look at his actual numbers and bearing in mind that he's playing, you know, mostly in a losing team rather than a winning team, um, and certainly playing in more of a losing team than Ben Hamer was in the first half of this season. I think it's I worked out it was he's conceding one goal every twenty five games more than Hamer was, which is not a lot at all, really. Um so for all there are these sort of glaring weaknesses in his game um, on the crosses uh, and there have been moments where you're like what are you doing there I don't think they are actually weirdly they, they've not actually proved to be that costly in the final analysis of things mm. and there is also the thing we talked about which is you would expect any goalkeeper particularly a young goalkeeper to have a certain number of errors a season and I don't mm. think Schofield has exceeded that to be honest yeah um, for me I do think they see him as the number one next season, and I don't think you have. I don't think you send him out on loan because if you send Ryan Schofield out on loan, you've then got to recruit for Ryan Schofield's position in the squad. Because even if you don't think he's going to be number one, he's definitely going to be number two. So it would just make it become a really awkward piece of recruitment that you don't really need. And I think I've spoke about it again before, but if you want Ryan Schofield to be your number one for the next seven years, you have to put up with the f- the first sort of 12 to 18 months can be a bit up and down. That's just the way it is. Um, from, where was it? Sorry, I'm on Twitter now, so I'm having to jump between a few. As I said, I want to get through as many as I can. Would be interested in your views on where Carlos would have had us with last year's squad. I, I Can I go first on this one? Yes. I'm host. Why am I asking you? Do as I say. Um, I think what I think what people want us to answer here is that Carlos would have had them flying and they would have been absolutely excellent and everything would be completely different and last year's squad was so much better. I do think the squad overall was better, 
but could it have done everything that Corbyn wants it to do? I don't know. You know, the the big the big changing point for me uh, was getting Smith Rowe in more than anybody else, who lifted everybody's level a bit. And obviously, the big goal against West Brom, and he really was a shining light. Corbyn doesn't play with a ten, and I don't think he's. I don't think Smithrow would be the same player if you just consistency consistently played him right of a front three, for instance. I think there are a couple of players who would have made a difference. I think Chalabar would be one who I think would really suit Carlos Corran because of his passing. We've said we've said anything. a few times this season, haven't we? Imagine Trev in this team. Yeah. Um, and the striking options, you know, no one's going to sit here and say that the striking options weren't better when you had Steve Mounier there in particular. Um, so I, my gut feeling is that I think things might have been pretty much the same because I think you would have lost the same players you've you've lost. I think there would have been system problems. I think the squad would still be a bit unbalanced with, you know, having to shift players like Congolo at one point and still having Pritchard, who, let's be honest, is not offering anybody any sort of value for money as is. And, yeah, I, I just don't think that you put Corbin in charge of last year's team and Town are challenging for the playoffs. I, I think it would be broadly similar. Maybe a few more points just by virtue of having Mounier there in some of the tighter games. I do wonder, like, given that the problem with Sievert, or part of the, a big part of the problem with Sievert was the players were just like, who are you? And, you know, yeah. that's basically what Dean Hoyle said on the podcast. Yep. And I know exactly I think, what you're going to say here. Yeah, I mean, would they have been any better with, with Carlos Corbran? Yep. Yeah, and if that was those players' attitude, and I think those players have all gone now, <laughs> thankfully, yeah. but if that was those players' attitude, then would Corbran have actually been any better for them? I'm not convinced he would have been, to be honest. No, so. I'm not. That, that was from MDA Terrier, who has also sent us another one that it's not that we're not going to answer but your thoughts on realistic transfer targets this summer and who would make a big difference to this team not for the usual two-year leading period our recruitment team usually goes for I think that's a podcast in and of itself that we'll do a little preparation for at some point Steve and talk about a few targets because it's not it's not something you can just pull six names off the top of your head I did again HTAFC Stato did a good uh, a little piece with five players that town could potentially look at um i replied to that tweet with a few of my own as well but we'll that's definitely something we will return to yeah we're going to have um if town gets safe early we're going to have plenty of podcasts where we've got nothing to say so yeah yeah uh anthony o'neill this is a fairly quick one do you think schindler will be offered a new contract I don't think so at this stage. Um, it's wages, it's, isn't it? It's wages, and I, th- I mean, this is getting into the the, the realm of rumor rather than than fact. But you know, I've been told by various people, not at the club, but there's been rumors since I came to um, the paper that he's wanted to go back to Germany at some point. Um, so you wouldn't, you know, similar to, to Chris Lervo, you wouldn't sort of begrudging that if that's what he wants to do. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and I know a lot of fans will, you know, hate this, but I think for the money he's on, he probably doesn't offer enough and that money could be better spent. And it's horrible when it comes down to that kind of equation, but I think that's where they are with it. 
he may well end up being one of the most expensive subs in the league and that's not a position Huddersfield Town can afford to be in and I know that sounds harsh but if you could get Schindler to sign a new contract for a wage that fitted Town's model I think you would absolutely do it and I think he would be great to keep around the club Mm -hmm. and I think he would play plenty of football but you're talking of you're talking about a career that is going to end for him in a year or two he needs to earn as much money as he possibly can that's probably not going to be at Huddersfield Town and you probably can't begrudge him that either he's um, only 30 <laughs> yeah but I in it's when you're a footballer you're a particularly essential defender your career's over in five years yeah he's, he's probably got earn he's, his, he's got five years of earning the yeah. most money he's going to earn in his life and then he's got hopefully another potentially 35 40 years of life left you've got to yeah. you can't really begrudge anybody going well I don't particularly want to sign for peanuts when I can go somewhere else and earn potentially three or four times that that's that's just the way it is isn't it you know it's... I, I think i think they'd i imagine they'd love to keep him if they could yeah absolutely but, yeah but, but yeah i mean it, the reality might not allow that unfortunately no so i think the answer for both of us is you would love to offer him a new contract and you would love him to sign it but it's just there is an element of realism that makes us think it won't happen um from that was from anthony o'neill uh apo neil on twitter uh, Daniel Peckett, uh, if Nias and Sonogo perform to a decent standard from now until the end of the season, do you think the club will sign both of them on a long-term contract? We'll do this one fairly quickly. I personally think they're potentially battling for one place, and I think that if Sonogo really, really performs, then there's a chance they may well want to sign him up for longer. But I don't think you keep plugging away with Nias and the work permit and everything else for this long if you're yeah. not hoping for a long-term future from him. But what's your take, Steve? Yeah, um, I think Nias is more likely, without going into the details of it. I believe his longer-term work permit situation might be a bit more solid than Sonogo's. So that that could play a part. I think with both of them, it's a bit of a, a bit of a wait and see, um, not just on the work permit situations, but also their performance and whether yeah. they want to stay and whether they can do a deal. You know, if mm. if they're putting themselves in the shop window here, that's this is the it. Thing. There's almost so, a level where they do so well that they can't yeah. stay because they'll get a move somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Daniel also asks, what do you think of the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre? I'll be honest. I'm dead against it. People forget that traders need access to Dixons. Uh, Jack Math, uh, again, who's asked a couple of good questions. Do you think we'll extend Bakuna and Mbenza? If so, will it be to keep for the season or sell? And surely they've made a decision on the likes of Critchlow, Brown and Dehaney, whether we're in the champ or not, or they would have extended by now. I don't think it necessarily works like that. Before you answer, Steve, I can't wait for fans to be in the ground to see Romney Critchlow warm up because have you seen he does the Diego thing? He does, yeah. Side foot keepy-ups really high in the air. It's glorious. Anyway, so do they extend Baccarin and Benza potentially and would that be just to sell them? Uh, yes, I think so. And and yes, on both counts, to be honest, because, again, the, the players that were signed in the Premier League or signed new deals in the Premier League um, are all on higher wages yeah. than, than what they'd be able to sign equivalent players for now. Um, so I think if they do get new deals, then they will have half an eye on, on selling. Um, yeah. But I think it's no disaster if they give them new deals 
and they end up staying for another year and they get a year's play out of them because for all for all we've talked about back of this year and not all of it positive he does contribute and you know, and Benz's numbers speak for themselves this year. I think everyone uh, has been really pleasantly surprised. I think there's only five players in the championship with more assists than him this season, which is is good going. Yeah, I I think I think if you can get good, I'll be honest. I think if you can get good money for them, there's a price on pretty much anybody in the squad's head because Town needs to be able to reinvest. And I'm sure I'm sure they would love to keep Backer and Benz. I I'm sure they would love to keep Mbenza, but if they get Backer is one who you think they're probably going to get an offer for, and they're probably going to get money for. So, yeah, he's he's probably going to go. As for making the decisions on the others, I'm sure they've made decisions on a couple, but I'm sure they also need to talk to them as well. You know, Brown and Dehaney too that you've mentioned. I think Brown and Dehaney are interesting because you are asking them to be backups at a point in their career where they want to play football. So also you've got Aaron Rowe who can cover potentially one of them. So yeah, we'll see what happens there. Critchlow is a player who I think needs a loan just to just to bring him up to the same level as Edmonds Green or you know a couple of other people. So um, Jack Mathers also asked about the out of contract players, but again I think we'll save that because I think there's you know half an hour on a podcast about that. Um, so we will get to that, Jack. I promise. Uh, MDA Terrier has asked another question: If you and Chicken had a dance off, what are your respective Pierre de Resistance finishing moves, and who's bringing home the bacon? There's a correct answer here, Steve. <sighs> well, I, I would love to be able to do the worm, but I don't think I can. Well, there's no way I can do the worm. Um, go on, Dave. What's your what's your finishing move, mate? I, I I'm a child of the '90s. I was I was a rave child. You know, I spend half my life in Technics t-shirts and listening to. Saint mixes from the early 90s that there's no way you're beating me in a dance off and when push comes to shove when i drop the running man honestly you're out of there you, you oh, not there was, only do you concede defeat you're gone you've left my life there was there was absolutely no debate that that you were going to win this like the best i'd be able to pull out would be like just copying i've been watching a lot of like 2001 era roars and smackdown so cracking out the stuff that grandmaster sex a did during his entrance would be about the limit of my capabilities um and uh, uh, last one here from MDA Terry, and then we've just got a couple more and we're done. I know this is an epic one, but there's no other football to talk about. What else are you going to do with your time? You all say international football is rubbish anyway. Um, from MDA Terry again, uh, if you were the club's director of football, are you happy with everything or are you making changes? For example, does Carlos Colbron need an older coach to help guide through difficult patches who knows the EFL? And are you happy with the pedigree of academy coaching recruitment team? Huge question, but I think rather than trying to go on and on about this one, Steve, because there's a few things we'll cover in future pods, I I think it's just worth asking the question about the older coach to guide them through the difficult patches. Do you think a little bit of experience might go a long way on that bench? Well, you'd say about needing someone who knows the FL, but I mean, to be fair, Corbrand had been at Leeds for two years and we know the the level of prep that, that he would have been involved in putting together um, yeah. for, for Bielsa. So I think he probably knows it about as well as anyone at this point. And it is worth saying, we, we sit right in front of the analysts and... Um, He's got Danny Schofield in an earpiece who I know is a younger coach. He's got Lee Bromby who had also had that long playing career at, at a higher level than, than Schofield as well, um, who has that experience. And there are these there are different voices going into things. It's 
it's it all is Corbrand's final decision on the match day, uh, as we've we've seen. Um, but there are those voices going in. I, I don't think you necessarily need a Tony Pulis or a Neil Warnock coming in. I think that that is just going to confuse things, to be honest. So no, is basically my answer here. I suppose. I think that while you've got the current structure, I think you have to stick with it. And I think you're exactly right. If you go and get if you go and get the wrong voice to put on that bench, then it's going to be a disaster. And if you go and get somebody who actually wants to be a manager, that's also going to be a disaster. So it would be very, very difficult. You, I think you need that, different options, but you don't need yeah. someone who's just going to be diametrically opposite to what you already no. know. Yeah. And there's different levels of knowing the EFL. I think you have to understand that, said it before, but Corbin will have learned so much from this season that he he he's no novice now because this this is a bear pit of a league and one year in it you know all you need to know about it so yeah um right couple of quick questions to end uh these have come from anonymous so which of town's out of contract players would you renew we've sort of discussed anyway and i think we'll cover that on that's a separate pod yeah yeah we'll do that giraffe or bear and there is a correct answer here steve see how i'm quite a fan of giraffes but yeah. I also have a load of bears, so I'm going to have to say bear. The correct answer is draft, because bears, when they hibernate, they have to pack their bums out with poo, and that's a one-way valve for me. I just couldn't face that. So draft all day long for me. Uh, how do you think the fans would react if Phil doesn't give new contracts to the likes of Mbenza, Schindler and Bakuna? I think we've pretty much answered that, yeah. really, in that I, it's an unknown, we don't know, and it's not... B- badly, I think, probably, to be honest. Yeah, Badly, but at the same time, some of those contracts are going to be to sell them anyway. So it, it's... It, let's be honest, it all depends what they do, who they sign instead of them, and how they get on. I think yeah. that, that probably realistically, I'm bracing myself for a summer where the fans are really unhappy, to be honest. <laughs> because yeah. I, think, I think there are going to be popular players who leave, and I think the players who they sign to replace them might not necessarily be obviously the answer. No. Um, particularly if they do get, you know... If they do get the players they want, it is going to be Pippa, Carolighting. You know, there was no excitement around Carolighting when he signed, and you and I were sitting here going, that is quite a coup that they've got him. And obviously, yeah. Pippa has turned out to be brilliant. So. You know, and then there's the other end of things, which is your Toffolos. I think in the best world, that's what they want. But those players are not exciting because town fans don't know them. Uh, so yeah. I am bracing myself for a bit of a difficult summer in terms of um, in terms of what yeah. you know the fans' happiness, to be honest. But it, but, think- but if they start well in August everyone's forgotten yeah i think rather than answer that there's a question here which is linked and i'll answer that one which is there a reason why the recruitment team have continued to stay in a job despite the many failings of previous transfer windows do you think it's fair that the manager gets to blame when things go wrong but the recruitment team have zero accountability a couple of aspects to that and i know we're trying to whiz through this but i don't think the manager does get the blame because i don't think anybody has turned around and particularly laid the blame at the manager's door in the last few years I think the recruitment team have have had the targets trained on them quite squarely and I do think things have not been great I think they have they've got more wrong than they've got right I think I have no idea what their recruitment model is or how it works or who's involved but I think there's been a lot of voices in there so I think Phil's had an opinion I think the recruitment department's had an opinion I think Danny Cowley's definitely had an opinion I think Carlos Corbin's had an opinion I think Lee Bromby's had an opinion so there's a lot of 
there's a lot of voices going in and the thing I would say is that this summer I know Steve's already said it I know we've said it a million times but it's a really big summer for for outs and it's a really big summer for ins and I think I think if we're sitting here having this podcast next year and we're looking at a, a summer a summer transfer window that was no better than okay and a January transfer window where they haven't improved things, then I think we will have to say, yeah, the recruitment department, what, what is going on there, what is happening? But I think they've probably earned the right with the likes of your tough lows and a few other players finding your peepers and et cetera, et cetera, to at least have a go this summer and hopefully they will get things they will get things right what's your read steve if i'm playing devil's advocate a bit i would say you don't know what's necessarily gone on in terms of scouting it's quite possible that they are scouting the right targets and then they're either not getting them uh either because then they're being beaten to them by other clubs or they just can't agree terms or whatever um in which case that's another issue um that that needs looking at definitely um Mm. but talking specifically about the the player identification which i think is what people are basically getting at when they're talking about the, you know the recruitment yeah. um the other thing is whether managers might be overriding things so you know the manager always has final say or the head coach always has final say we know that there are certain players who did not do well who uh who david wagner pushed quite hard for uh, yeah. and sort of almost overruled the recruitment department to get those those players in um and yeah there's there's all these aspects of things that is a quite generous read on things i think you know it's possible that the, the the recruitment team is sitting there throwing their hands up going well we told you to sign such and such and look at him now he's gone and been brilliant so yeah i think that is i i do wonder how far that goes um yeah. There's so many other factors in recruitment as well, Steve. You know, Adama Diakabi not working out at Huddersfield Town, it's not necessarily all on the player. It's not necessarily all on the recruitment department. It's not necessarily all on the transfer that was well, this, done. This is, I mean, I think the, the, the other example that I would point to, and I've wrote a bit about this last week, is Alex Pritchard, who mm. should have been, for this level, about He would close... fit, yeah, every recruitment model and, you yeah. could possibly put together, and arguably, Steve, still does. Yeah, they overpaid for him, of course. Um, um, you know they spent 11 million quid on him by by you know going by the reports at the time and um that was obviously too much but it didn't look mad at the time when you were looking at a team that was uh. almost half i know it was the first season they signed him not the second season but a team that was almost half half preparing to come back into the championship sooner or later he was about as close to a sure thing as you could possibly have signed yeah. and that will sound yep. silly to some people now but it's true and he just hasn't worked out and sometimes that just happens you know like sometimes and that isn't necessarily the recruitment team's fault no surprise to me if he goes to Borough or QPR or wherever and ends up playing really really well no surprise at all it just there's so many factors but what I am saying specifically about the recruitment team is that I think you would have to give them the summer I mean imagine if you drummed them out the place right now with everything ahead of you this summer it would just make no practical sense but yeah I I do think you can legitimately ask questions and I don't think there's anything wrong with that right two to go and I'm keen to keep this under 90 minutes so two to go Steve keep it tight for the last 10 yeah um Stephen Littlewood has asked a question about Dean Hoyle, which there's a lot of if, buts and maybes in it. Uh, why has Hoyle left town in such dire straits financially and wants his money back? I think the thing I think me and Steve would really do is probably refer you to his own podcast that he did. What was the podcast called, Steve? Looks good, looks on, good on paper. Looks good on paper, where 
you know, listen to the man himself answer. You don't need me and Steve to answer for you. The one thing I would say is that there's there's nothing wrong with the plan he put in place, takeover-wise. Nobody knew there was a global pandemic coming, which would change everything. And I know it's boring to talk about COVID, but that is reality. So the last question here is anonymous, uh, but worth answering. Will Nias be given the chance to play right away, to give Campbell a rest, potentially play Yaya and Nias up front, big guy laying the ball off to a good fast attacker... Uh, hopefully it will not be four games before we see him to get uh, to get his fitness up. Uh, there is no reason to sign him if we're not going to get him on the field, which I, I broadly agree with, if I'm honest, but go on. Yeah, I think... I, I I would think that is probably the ideal partnership when you look at it because um, Nias has a lot of what Campbell has but is three years younger basically um, but he's also not played for a year I think you're unlikely to see him complete in 90 minutes anytime soon maybe not before the end of the season and I think that is going to play into things I do wonder if you might see Campbell and one other is going to yeah. be the partnership for most of the season um, and maybe towards the end you might get Sonogo and Nias starting a few together but um, yeah I, I imagine there will be a bit of 30 minutes 30 minutes 60 minutes 60 minutes before we see 90 out of Nias Sonogo's a bit closer obviously because he's been with the team a bit longer and also he was training with a club before Nias mm. has been training with town um, for a few weeks but obviously no longer than, than Sonogo has I don't think um and Snogo was at Ozair before when he asked was training on his own and sort of running around the park kind of thing. So um, yeah. that might make a difference. I think you don't sign the ass at this this stage unless you have plans to at least have a good look at him. And I yeah. I, I do think Nias is the one who's probably in the box chair for a contract next season um, if things go well. It would be quite... Maybe not expensive, but it would be quite difficult, I think, next season to potentially keep Campbell Road, Snogo and Nias all happy and all playing plenty of football, enough football to keep them happy. So, Particularly yeah. if he's going to go back to a three up front rather than a two. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they are all on their toes. I, I'm a bit like you. I think it would be quite good to see Snogo and Nias potentially before the end of the season together. I think Campbell has played a million games and could do with a break, but he's having one as we speak. You know, that's what the international break is giving him. It would be a huge shout not to start Campbell when he has been town's number one striker. Um, So, yeah, (coughs) sorry. I think we will see him before the end of the season. I think he will play plenty of football. Yeah, it's a bit of a bun fight, really. They've got to they've got to show that they're worth a contract next season, and that can only really be good for Huddersfield Town to have two strikers who desperately need to prove themselves in these circumstances. Yeah. Bun fight just always amuses me. I don't know why. Because you're a very childish man. Bun fight, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a childish man. But even if um, you're thinking of like an iced bun, I still think that's quite a funny image. Anyway, uh, well, it's, I mean, I'm going to say leave it before I even say this out loud but I'm a big fan of an iced finger leave it Steve Um, right we got through them all thank you very very much for all of your questions and all of your nice comments me and Steve are eternally grateful that people listen to this and when we do get feedback it's great it really gives us a boost for doing it so thanks for that hopefully we covered quite a lot of ground i know there are a few things we said we will get to and we will because as steve says once 
once uh, they're staying in the championship, things get a little bit dead rubbery. <laughs> yeah, they do. And uh, yeah, we've got a summer to fill as well, even after that, even if it goes to the wire. So yeah, yeah. we we will do a bit of a transfer target special potentially, I yeah, think, because I know that's what people love, all that sort of thing. So yeah, I can definitely see us doing that. So you're Stephen Chicken. You're on Twitter at Stephen Chicken. You can read Stephen's excellent work on the examiner you can also read his sort of deeply average he literally puts everything up there um i'm david hartrick uh i have a book out on bobby robson called silver linings which is coming out in about now it's coming out in about a month or so because the publisher is bringing it forward so i'll end up talking about that a lot and boring you all to death on it uh, but thank you for listening i know it's been epic but hopefully you've enjoyed it goodbye see you there.